I'm wearing the exact same clothes I was wearing when I saw you yesterday. <laughs> have you have you taken them off since I saw you? Nope. <laughs> mm. The bottom half I have. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. Today's podcast guest is British yachtswoman Sam Davis. Sam um, is most famous for completing the Vendée Globe, where competitors race 60-foot yachts single-handed around the world. The route takes them through the South Atlantic, around Cape Horn, around Antarctica, through the Southern Ocean. It's um, Some of the ways there is, are as big as a block of flats. It's widely considered to be one of the most physically and mentally grueling sporting challenges, like um, the Marathon de Saab, you know, those marathons through the desert. It's sort of that level. Sam's an interesting guest because she demonstrates, I mean, we really get a picture today of what it takes to do something like that. And she really communicates the focus and rigour needed to attempt and, and survive sort of a sailing challenge like that. But also what's really nice is that we also get a glimpse of her simple childhood love of just being on the water and sailing any boat, um, you know, that, and that's, that's the quality in her that obviously started the whole thing off. As well as me and Bucker sort of <laughs> listening silently in awe to her epic account. And um, as you know, I'm not, one to reach for the superlative adjectives. I don't use words like epic much. I'm not someone who, if um, if you say you sent me a file on um, we transfer, I'm not going to respond by saying awesome. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> I'm not going to say that's awesome that you've that's done. Amazing, that. yeah, thank no, you. Yeah, it's um, a tsunami is awesome. <laughs> I keep I keep those words in the drawer. If you read my column, which maybe you should, I should plug that. Um, yeah, th those words I keep in reserve. But I mean, I think, don't you think, because we sh it, it's it, in this, we should get one of those out of the drawer for her description yeah. of actually yeah. what it Let's was like. Let's whop out an awesome. It, well, an epic, certainly. Yeah, both. <laughs> but of course, this is a real work podcast. So we also hear a bit of the stuff we hear her talk with honesty about her struggle to find balance because she's a working mum as well. And, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. We go deep and um, here we are, here she is, Sam Davis. One, two, three. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for making time to come and do this when you're so busy. Uh, well, it's a pleasure and it's uh, cool to, to catch up with you properly after all this time as well. So, It's been a while. What does bank holiday look like in France? What do people do? Um, uh, I think it kind of depends on the weather. I think there are a lot of people who are trying, are counting on sitting on a, in a... Um, Cafe Terrasse, um, because the restaurant's only opened last 
uh, Wednesday uh, and you can only sit outside. And so there are a lot of people hoping to do that. And actually, it's um, uh, there's these massive hailstorms coming through every half an hour. So I think there's a lot of people disappointed in France. We've had a similar thing like two weeks ago. We're two weeks ahead of that now. Now people can um, come inside and they're all um, drinking at Weatherspoons and copulating <laughs> wildly, aren't they? They're just... Actually, Buckers, you've been out, haven't you? Excuse you've been me. out, out. <laughs> you've been out. I've seen on your Instagram like the red... I don't like how quickly you use the words copulating and then buckers are the same sentence. But you've been actually out in the red in your red jacket. You've been out to bars inside, haven't you? I have, yeah. It's great. How was it? Has everyone been enjoying it or have we Wonderful. gone madly British and There's still I think there's still a sense that we're not quite out of the woods. I think okay, we're all good. just dying for for someone to say everything's fine now. You can lick each other. Um, <laughs> and I don't know whether that 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 announcement will ever come. I'm kind of enjoying it because um, I'm very British in the fact that I don't really like um, uh, touching other people or other people touching me. And, and I, hope, um, <laughs> I love it. And when, when I moved to France, one of the biggest things that I uh, struggled with, with was the fact that you have to kiss everybody that you meet when you meet them and then when you go. So that's two twice a day. Um, and, uh, so and that so, really happens. I thought that was a, like a, a cultural cliche, but it, it's no, a thing. no, it really happens. And if you actually, and and when you, so when you arrive at an event or at work or in a meeting at work, uh, well, it kind of depends on who uh, on on who if it's a really informal work or so. There's there's the kissing one or the the shaking hands one, depending on uh, what the work colleague relation you know if it's depends on what work but anyway so, so I know the people I work with really well um so yeah when you arrive you come and bonjour everybody and um and and kiss 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 everybody um and then when you leave again the same thing and if you don't do that it's actually French people um perceive it as an insult um which me coming from the UK uh, where I'm totally happy to just walk in and say hi to everybody uh, and then um, sometimes just go because I don't want to disturb what's going on either at work or at a party I, I just leave and actually that's an insult so yeah the the uh, yeah communications is, is very different in France and people are very uh, respectful um, and that. has COVID altered that in terms of like communicating a virus uh, it, yeah, because COVID, so COVID's really yeah. altered that because obviously you can't have physical contact with with everybody in the street and your colleagues and your friends at a party and uh, um, and a lot of French people have found that really hard to deal with because they feel like they're insulting people by not um, uh, welcoming them as they would do normally. When you describe it, I'm trying to work out if I'd like it because I'm quite a good get. I mean, I'm quite a um huggy person so i was thinking abby is you know my sister's exactly how you describe so i thought um, oh yeah in that situation abs would love france well, I, I, i'd love france but abs wouldn't like it and then i thought then i i, I go through my mind it would be great you know if you just get to kiss and hug everyone then you just think oh actually maybe not them uh, oh actually no <laughs> actually maybe not that no so it's a bit of a mixed blessing no because you can't choose you can't choose and if you do choose anyway. then you, that's definitely an, uh, an insult so uh, um, I've, I've always used my English uh, people most people uh, realize that I'm English and that I don't uh, realize what I should be 
what it should be occasionally yeah it uh people are um you know i upset people by uh not meeting and greeting how you should do in france and uh how long how long have you lived there uh i've lived here for since 2004 so yeah that's uh rather a lot of years 16 17 because in your career um the attitude to your sport in france is utterly different uh yes it's um uh really popular in france um and well known and i think because my when you say my sport it's um my sports offshore single-handed racing sailing um and that's a very specific area of the sport so um france it's not sailing as a whole um but they've definitely embraced shorthanded offshore racing because um i think it's so it's you don't have to be an expert or um, or a fan or a sailor yourself to understand um, the basics of of one person on a boat sailing around the world nonstop. And so the whole adventure side makes the sport um, easy to understand uh, for people who don't want to or don't, or don't know anything about the kind of technical side of sailing. That's interesting. So that's what you think captures their imagination, the um, explorative yeah. sort of the sense of adventure yeah definitely um and uh, yeah and it, it's the adventure side where i guess it's a little bit of the kind of uh, big brother side of um uh, being able to follow people um in doing something uh, a bit extreme well quite <laughs> very extreme and, and uh, <laughs> um uh yeah so there is the the competition side and and uh, people love that but it's not just that it's also the the human challenge side of of doing what we do and um and that's obviously what everybody can understand and you and you don't necessarily have to love sailing to um to really get into that following someone uh, struggling their way around the world um with all the different challenges that come up um yes it's we are lucky to be part of the um few adventurers on this planet and and that's what the french love it's a little bit like cow's week um in the uk where um uh there's a lot of people who go to cow's week who know nothing about sailing and and they're not going to cows to <laughs> to follow the sailing at all they going... sound like my dad now so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so, so so no so it's amazing in france and um and it's great because because of that and because it's followed by so many people and it's well known um then obviously for the companies that sponsor us uh, it works really well um and so then that enables us to do what we do better and um uh, so yeah, it's a it's a win win situation. So in that, you're talking about people who follow the sport but don't love sailing. You love sailing. Yeah. <laughs> you you grew up in a completely different culture to that. You grew up in a in a you know on the south coast in dinghies and just around sailing with your family since you were a baby. Uh, yes, um, I love sailing and um, not just sailing, but living, yeah, messing around um, in, on, under the sea. And um, uh, and that comes from from my family and, uh, and not just my parents, but also my grandparents. My dad was um, 
my dad's dad, so my granddad was a submarine commander. So th that's where I, why I was born in Portsmouth because he was based, um, he was in the Navy and he was based in Portsmouth. And so, um, and my mum's dad, my other granddad was, had a boatyard um, on Hailing Island and um, built aluminum power boats. Um, that was his job and his passion was racing uh, power boats offshore, which was at his time, uh, all that time ago, is pretty dangerous and extreme sport. Um, so yeah, my both both my granddads were kind of um, heroes in my or are heroes in my eyes. Um, and um, I didn't when I was young. I obviously didn't really follow their passion or what they did. But um, it's only as I've got older where I, where I, I realised that um, that where the genes come from and um, and the love for sailing or love for doing kind of extreme stuff on the ocean um, comes from. And uh, yeah, my, my grandparents were pretty inspiring and, and my parents were amazing because they loved sailing and being on the ocean. And for them, it was uh, completely um, uh, just, uh, I suggest in inverted commas, a passion because um, they had, they worked had other jobs so yeah sailing was weekends and holidays and um and not serious um in competition terms or or goal setting or it was really just the pleasure of um we're going to go off on an adventure together as a family and um and so they they were the ones that i guess um passed that passion and enjoyment for for being on a boat in the middle of the ocean and um uh, and also at the same time, the respect that you need to have for the ocean and for the sea to be able to um, to live on it or race on it, and um, because yeah, it's uh, the seamanship side of things is is pretty important in my life anyway. And yeah, so so all of that um, uh, I guess made me or it, it made it a little bit inevitable that uh, I ended up doing what I'm doing. There's um, I'm I really like classical music. There's a couple of um, classical musicians I follow, and one of the things that's interesting about um, a violinist or a pianist who's considered a genius is that they can be born with um, an inexplicable musical talent, but as they grow and uh, as they get older, there's uh, a combination of um, traits. Um, in physical, mental, emotional traits that have to all line up for them to become, you know, great performers in their field. So, for example, Buckers, they might um, um, find big crowds of audiences different. They might get stage fright. They might, you know, their 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 hands might not be big enough or, or whatever, and they have to all match up. And and one particular is a violinist who I know called Maxim Vengerov. This is this is I'm his super fan. Um, and he, yeah, they, when they talk about him, they just say all that the ba all the barriers that you kind of come across as he grew, they just fell away. You know, they, he loved people. He, he was re really relaxed on stage. You know, he had no physical barrier and, um, it's kind of what you're describing is those kind of things. So the things from your grandparents, you know, not just the water, but the sort of engineering side, the, the you know, the extreme boundary, put the appetite to push boundaries. And your parents, I'm, I remember your mum a bit when we were little. They're, they're quite relaxed characters, your mum and dad. Uh, very, yes. Yeah. 
yeah, they're, they're sort of e e easy going and they're sort of the sense of the enjoyment and sort of being relaxed and at home just on different kinds of boats. So you had, as, and then where your, your education at Cambridge, you know, that played into it. There's all these different things which kind of lined up, isn't there, as you, as you sort of move forward. It's interesting to watch that progression because the reason I mentioned Max and Vengrov is because when you see him perform at the end, when everyone goes wild because he's magnificent, he puts his hand on his heart and he just beams. He just feels like, you know, he just loves it. And you see other performers in that situation sort of freeze up. And one of, I, I think one of the wonderful things to observe in your career is your enjoyment of it, Sam. It's just, is, is to just see how at home you are, how you're doing, what it just seems to come um, yes, so naturally. And I think that's, uh, uh, it's definitely a key to, to doing well in what I do, because obviously if you love that, then you're going to, put a hundred percent in all the time and um so just for for the training side and um i think i'm i'm really lucky because uh, every near pretty much every day when the the alarm goes off to get up there's never a day where i don't want to get up and go and do what what i have to do and um and that's not because every day I'm going to jump on my boat and scream, uh, sail across the ocean and um, like what a lot of people see because that's a, that's the only thing they see. But there's a lot of hard work behind what I do. Um, but yeah, I enjoy every aspect of um, of the sailing and the projects that um, that I live with, um, and that's definitely a key to to doing well and to keep wanting to do it. And uh, yeah, sometimes I force myself to not go sailing because I want to always love doing it. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I've, I've, um, yeah, I've stopped myself from doing, for example, doing in 2019, uh, we, um, we raced across to Brazil. Um, and then obviously we, we have to sit, bring the boat back afterwards. And so, uh, so they, that's called a delivery trip. And, um, and I really wanted to do that delivery trip back. Um, but because the, the sailing season had been quite busy and 2019, that was the year before the Vendée Globe, before I'm going to sail around the world. Um, and, and the, and 2020, I was going to do two transatlantic races before sailing around the world. I said, no, no, I can't, um, if I sell, if I do the delivery trip back, then then that's that might be the one trip too much that might wear me out and mean that um, that uh, it might take away a bit of the enthusiasm for for this really busy 2020 that I was going to have. And so yeah, I forced myself to have to get in an aeroplane and uh, and not sail my boat back because of um, uh, because I want to keep that enthusiasm uh, maximum and the enjoyment and um, and, a, and a little bit of um, self-preservation as well because our boats are pretty violent and uh, and so physically as well it's important to to take a break from time to time so that we don't destroy ourselves but uh, but yeah for me the passion and enjoyment and do, loving what I do is is really important and sometimes on our boats it's not easy because the initiative care on my boat is, is really violent when it's sailing at 100% well depending on the, the conditions but even in 
even in kind of normal, um, not extreme conditions, uh, it just goes so fast that um, it's like, I guess it's like driving a, um, a four or driving off cross country um, in a normal car with no headlights, no windscreen wipers and, um, and no brakes. Um, and, and you have to live 24 hours like that and, um, and eat and sleep and um, do your weather forecasting and, and just live. Cause obviously if you don't keep doing everything you need to do to, to keep going when you're sailing around the world, which takes three months, then you obviously know you're not going to, um, you're not going to make it. So often when, when it's, uh, when it's hard on the boat and I'm having a tough day, it's really easy to remind myself that, um, you know, I'm lucky to be there. And there's a very few of us that actually get the opportunity to sail on the kind of boat like initiative care and sail around the world. And, um, uh, so yeah, it's easy to put everything in, in perspective, uh, and still enjoy it even on the hard days. Uh, and especially with my project initiative care, cause I support a charity that, um, that helps save kids' lives who've been born with heart defects in countries where they can't, they can't be looked after. Um, and, um, and so if everything else fails, then, then I've also got that, that to fall back on in my, um, way of putting my putting life into perspective and and remind myself that um reframe they call it that's the that's the modern buzzword that's the reframe ah yes reframe and I, I know the words in french i spend too much time talking french at the moment that i always um, my english is good is not so good also the intonation <laughs> of your english voice is now a little bit french i don't know what i'm saying you I... say hello flace so nice to speak to you <laughs> do you know why it's funny because um my daughter's just started learning french i don't speak any french i do spanish at school and i speak a bit of Italian well very little and um she's she thinks she's brilliant at everything and um she does French at school and she just speaks English with a French accent <laughs> 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 she's just such a great worker and she's like yeah I don't need to do that I'm brilliant I'm already brilliant I can speak French now she's had like two lessons so um uh, yeah, sounds so like my son, yeah. uh, although he's nine now and he he's really bilingual though no he yeah he's bilingual actually he he was trilingual because um when he started speaking uh how old are they when they're like two i guess he was two uh, and he started speaking we were living uh on lanzarote um and so he went to a spanish crash in um kindergarten crash in in Lanzarote and uh, so a, a local where which was really weird because um you know when you drop your kid off and um especially in the crash and uh, you drop them off and you, there's no way of explaining um anything I don't speak any Spanish and so it was really weird to start with because I couldn't um tell them uh that uh that he just had a period on the way to they doesn't like Chorizo. <laughs> Couldn't apologise that he's pooed on in the car on the way to <laughs> I'm dropping him off with her. But all, all of that, or at the end of the day when um, you go and pick him up and they say, oh, yeah, he ate his lunch really well today. And all that, I had absolutely no idea what my kid was doing every day. But it's quite weird when you see your kid speaking a language that you have no idea uh, what they're talking about, <laughs> or more or less no idea what they're talking about. Um, and it's pretty impressive as well because you're like, whoa. He can do something I can't do, and he's only two. <laughs> <laughs> the um, when we were kids on the south coast in the seventies, that that era was a bit of a a renaissance in sailing in a way, wasn't it? Because before then, 
there, there were certain innovations with um, boat building at that time, which democratized yachting, wasn't there? So is it five, like fiberglass hulls and things like that, that made it so that in the 70s, um, it wasn't, it was less for just really posh people. It was kind of like more regular families could access sailing on the South Coast. Um, yeah, I guess so. Now, I haven't, I'd never really thought about that. Um, and maybe, maybe it was because that happened to just before, I guess, just before I um, was old enough to actually think about anything. We, we enjoy, we, that's, you know, those, those boats, like, you know, we had a Contessa and um, other sort of, 70s type family cruising boats and they they existed because of certain you know innovations in boat building which made boats more accessible more affordable for family cruising yes uh yeah you're you're right and um so yeah we we are lucky and i guess well i i say i'm lucky because my parents i think because the the world they they came from as well that when I was born they had a little tiny motorboat. Um it wasn't fiberglass, it was built in out of wood. Um but but you're right, it it was always always accessible and, and not luxury and um but I think that's amazing the, the amazing thing thing about sailing as well is that I remember at the time we didn't have GPS, we didn't have any. Yeah, any this is what I was going to ask about, Sam. The changes, the the um, the evolution of the the sport, just since we were kids to now. What you were describing um, in terms of the boat and how you sail it when you're on your own. Yeah, and I think that that's the the there's there's a difference as well between now and then because yeah, as I was saying, there was no electronics, so no GPS, no magic thing that that showed you on a screen where you are, and so I think there was although boats were boats were available, um, I think it was probably still in a way less popular or less. Or um, uh, could it be elitist? I'm not sure the, whether the elitist is the right word, but to to go sailing on a boat, you couldn't just jump on a boat and do it if you didn't have the skills to, required to navigate um, without yeah. the GPS. And yeah. so I think there was, in a way, um, it was still um, not something that everybody could just go and do uh off, you know rent a boat or with a few days of, of experience because because now you have these this the gps this um for the navigation there's uh, there's a whole heap of things that will make it a little bit uh safer in advanced commas and easier to 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 pick up quicker um at the, at the time it was yeah it was definitely something that it that you had to learn quite a lot of basics which took took quite a while to pick up and you know paper charts and there was a lot of maths involved with navigation um uh even weather forecasting wasn't as easy as it is now so you had to have to be safe um you know t- uh, i think about now is it to when you jump on a boat you just pick up your smartphone and um and check to see if the weather's going to be okay and those are the skills that my parents taught me um gradually and very um in a lot of detail which means that helps now uh 
even now is a navigation, even with all the modern technology. Um, I feel like I'm really lucky to have um, have have sailed as a kid in a and uh, where all of that wasn't available. And yeah, in the analog more, world. And so there's yeah. a lot more. Um, there's yeah. a lot more feeling and a lot more. I think it helps your kind of seamanship and your boat sense and sea sense, um, uh, which which now, although with all the technology that we have, it's great because sailing is available to so many more people, um, and so it means that so many so many more people can enjoy that and not spend three months on a course doing that every evening as homework. Um, uh, but also, I think it's you kind of miss that little that connection that you have with the with the boat in the ocean. That and um, learning by the feel, you know. Even yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm lucky to have been uh, a kid mm. in that era. And uh, yeah, and as a girl, obviously, you're talking about evolution in in sailing and um, yeah, and the, and the, uh, kind of the changes that happened. And when we were at school. Um, uh, this amazing woman called Tracy Edwards uh, yeah. put together an all-female crew to uh, race in the Whitbread Around the World race because she wanted to have a job on a boat or, uh, or a position on a boat that, other than a chef, um, she wanted to be a trimmer and a helmsman and a navigator. And the only way for her to do that was to, um, to create an all-female crew because she, as a woman, she would have never have um, got selected to do that on a mixed boat and uh, so she she created this um this crew maiden and i think i was i don't know how whether i was 13 or 14 at the time and um and what she did um not just tracy but the whole maiden crew was just absolutely incredible for us as women uh in the world not just because she was about she's about Maybe ten years older than me, I think. She's about late fifties now, isn't she? So, so that was just that was just at the right time to catch your imagination as you were becoming a young woman. Exactly, and uh, yeah, I never for me it was never something that I wanted to do. Um, I, I never saw yeah. myself as a, as being as doing that as a as a career or as a sport. Um, but I loved sailing, and I thought the boats were amazing, and I, I actually wanted to be. Um, uh, a naval architect or an engineer and um, uh, structural engineer in in, uh, in racing racing boats or you know you know be involved in that but I never saw myself as being um, actually part of the team on the boat um, although I loved sailing for me uh, it was way too far even the fast net race for me was way too long crossing the crossing the channel was 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 a was pretty much uh, as far as I thought I'd ever be able to sail in terms of distance. So, uh, but no, the, the the whole sport was inspiring. I loved it, and and yeah, what Tracy and her crew did was um, was incredible. And I think obviously, even though I didn't think uh, uh, consciously that I wanted to do that, I think uh, what she did it connects as soon as it's possible made me subconsciously realize that actually that the opened a door to things that probably I had never even considered before that. Um, and so, yeah, the, Tracy and her team really inspired me. But I think not just, um, not just in terms of inspiration, I think she also did something for women in general uh, in terms of uh, changing the attitude uh, towards uh, women 
in sport and women probably professionally and and definitely obviously in offshore sailing um and uh, and yeah that was incredible so yeah i was very lucky as well to um as a kid to have, have watched that and and then obviously when i got older and wanted to um join race boats and sail on them obviously she'd already done a whole heap of work that meant that uh it was much easier for me to find opportunities uh when i was younger and now you've done the fast net loads of times yeah now i've done the fast net loads of times and uh i, I can't remember i counted the other day for um because there's a uh, the fast net race is going to be this year and so we, we're going to come over with initiative car uh to cows to do the fast net race um and I think it'll be the fourth time I do that with, with my boat initiative care. So, uh... There's a really funny video. So Buck is the Fastnet race is a um, race to Ireland and back. And it can be very lumpy and bumpy. And historically, you know, there's, it's, um, it's not for rookies. Like it's a serious thing and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's something that the Ossing, the Ossing community, community talk about a lot. And there's a brilliant video of you, Sam, on YouTube, um, this is what I was talking about earlier about your attitude, your, your mindset around sailing is so interesting because <laughs> you've um, you've had some kind of mishap on the way, and um, you're looking at the camera talking about what's happened, and it sounds like this. This is my impression of you on your YouTube video. <laughs> this you go. Yeah, so the water alarm was going off, and um, yeah, we couldn't get through the bulkheads because it was too rough, so we couldn't get down there to fix it. And then when we did, uh, we got through the bulkheads, one of the hatches had blown off. <laughs> the boat was filling with water, but it was amazing, actually, because my pump worked really well. There were fishes <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, anyone in that situation would be telling it, just like, oh, my God, I was so afraid because I couldn't go and check it. And you're like, I've got this incredible new pump. So <laughs> really good <laughs> it's really good <laughs> that's what you kind of become known for that haven't you it's just like such a great attitude to just like wow that was close <laughs> yeah it, that was funny and and uh, i remember very vividly that moment because it, and i it was just i talked about that just two days ago actually it's quite funny you mention it because i was with kevin escoffier who um uh, who uh, at that time, I think just at that moment, he overtook he overtook us, um, and we were talking about sending it with our boats and and pushing hard and um, and uh, and I had kind of accused him of um, of being a little bit too much. Um, foot on the floor and and sending it and I was, he was like no you know i take care of my boats and um so kevin Niscoffi is, is very famous for this Vendée globe he actually folded his boat in half and sank um in the southern ocean it was it was a scary moment his his boat broke in half and sank under his feet in the matter of two minutes uh, he had pretty much two minutes to get in his survival suit and jump into a life raft and then spent um, nearly 24 hours waiting to be rescued and got rescued by a fellow competitor. Which um, is the way, because they're the nearest people to you, aren't they? Yeah. When you're yeah. that far away, when you're... Buckers is draws jaws on the floor. <laughs> I can see that makes me feel ill. Are you in your dressing gown, Buckers? <laughs> no, I'm not in my dressing gown. It's just a cosy lounge fleece. <laughs> you look like you're in a fluffy dressing gown, just thinking, God, that sounds really scary. It's um, in the Southern Ocean when they go around Antarctica, because you go, the route is that you come out of France, Buckers, turn left, 
go all the way down sort of Africa, then turn left, go around Antarctica, then turn left at Chile, Cape Horn, and come up again. So they go round Antarctica. And when they're down there, if they have a problem, you can't call the... Yeah, here we go, great. Oh, Sam's got her inflatable globe out. You can't call... You can't, yeah! You can't call the RAC... <gasps> There's um, <laughs> there's no AA roadside recovery because there's no people there. No, there's exactly. no people. Wow. And I, I, isn't there's something like the nearest person to you apart from your fellow competitors in the race are the people on the International Space Station or something like that? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And actually, the funny the my the godfather of my boat um, is actually on the space station right now. <gasps> He's an wow. astronaut and uh, a French astronaut who's it's his second trip up there and he's in the middle of a uh, well at the beginning of a six month mission so uh, yeah it's it's quite funny because um, I think about he's him flying you. across in there uh, he and actually he sailed my boat back from when I the the trip I was talking about earlier where I I, I forced myself not to go um, he actually was my replacement and uh, sailed the boat your back body double. Brazil. Um, which I was quite proud of. I think it's probably the most uh, the most uh, incredible delivery crew ever is having an astronaut sail your boat back from Brazil. <laughs> it's um, hands. But it's funny because when he, when he arrived back here in Lorient, he said, "Sam, Sam, you're you are mad. How on earth do you <laughs> ever think about going around the world on this thing?" He was like, "I thought the Soyuz so uncomfortable." <laughs> he said, "I said I thought the Soyuz was uncomfortable." And he's like, "Your boat is worse than the Soyuz." <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy who's who's crashed back to Earth. I don't know how many hundreds of kilometers an hour on in a little tiny capsule, and um, he uh, he compares that to sailing uh, Initiative Kerr and thinks that um, that crashing back to Earth. Uh, uh, into a desert is more comfortable than sailing on my boat. <laughs> Do you know that's interesting? Because when Buckers and I were talking about this conversation and what we were curious about, because I know that because of your incredible career, you know, when you're interviewed often, it's about sort of um, the nuts and bolts of, you know, what you've won. And, you know, we've I've got this amazing list from um, Wikipedia with all the, you know, your achievements. But actually what, I'm really curious about is, and this links in to your astronaut friend, once you've been in that situation, Sam, once you've left your son in France and you've taken this boat and you're out into the Southern Ocean with these huge seas so far away and all the wildlife and things, when you've had that experience, when you come back, don't you just feel different from the rest of us? How, how do you like come back and wait in the queue um, at the supermarket for the bread and and find, you know, when your kid's socks don't match up and you think, oh, should I chuck it away or will the other one turn up? Ha, 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 <laughs> do you know what I mean? That, that you know, the, the everyday... The mundane. ...nitty-gritty of the, of the mundane. Having been in that space with God or with the universe or, you know, whatever, whatever experience that is, how how... How aren't we annoying all the people who who haven't been there? Like no, and uh, and that's I think when when you said <laughs> talking about my kids' socks, it's that's exactly it, and um, and that's what I do do, and um, and when I came back after sailing around the world, um, the within I think two or three days after I got back, um, he's he's got a sailing course and so and I'm the one that's been 
selected to drive the, with eight boats on a trailer behind my car to <laughs> La Trinité to to launch them all. And and at the same time, he gets he got a stomach bug. So in the middle of the night, I'm catching sick coming out of, you know, he's got one of the beds that the, the beds that are really, you think it's a really good idea where they have the desk underneath and the bed on the top. Oh, bunk bed. And yeah. you can't change their sheets because it's like, you're, oh. you're, you're, you're crouching between the ceiling and trying to change, well, never, never buy one of those beds. And also when they're sick and they lean out and they throw up from those beds, you have to be really clever at catching it. Um, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, Sam. I'm thinking, don't you just think, hang on, I'm above this. I've been, I've been to the edge. I've communed with myself. No. You know, I've, I've had a, a blue whale swim. We've communicated. <laughs> no, and, and now the... uh, it's, will I put the vomit in the washing machine or not? Or will it just cook it? But what, oh. I, then what I'm saying is that um, I am, um, we are all the same. And, um, and I'm just lucky to have that opportunity to do this amazing thing. And I love it. And so I put 100 or 150% into preparing, training. And, yeah, sometimes um, uh, I don't see, my, don't see my kid quite so much because I, I'm out training. And there's, you know, there's some sacrifices you do to, to, to be able to, to complete or to be able to, to go and do this. But at the end of the day, um, the the proof is that anybody can do this and I'm, I'm no different from anyone else. And, um, and I, and I think, um, uh, and it's kind of thanks. Yeah. Thanks to my kid and the fact that, that I'm, I am, I am, we are all normal and, or maybe no one's normal. You're, you're not normal either. And, and we're all, but, uh, just, and, and what I'm trying to say is that I'm not some superhuman or anything. And so, yeah, within three days of sailing around the world, uh, uh, I have this little boy who needs his mum and he's got to go back to school. And so, no, we don't go off and sit on some beautiful island to recover or anything like that. There's no, you just go straight back to to, to life as it was before. And, and half the time, you just can't wait to do that because when you're in the middle of the ocean and you have a really shit day and, uh, and yeah, and sometimes you're like, well, I'm here and, and you all you... All you want to do is be at home uh, looking for that sock that that you can't find, and um, and so actually when I get back, I I do the opposite of what I do when I'm having a hard day out there of of, of saying you know I'm so lucky to have this amazing opportunity to to be out here racing this boat, and, and but when I get home and 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 I can't find two socks or, and he, he broke his shoes yesterday and I didn't have time to buy, buy a new pair. And we're trying to work out what, what he's going to wear to school on his feet this morning. Um, uh, I, I remind myself as well that um, when I was out there in the middle of the ocean, all I wanted to do was, was, was be here uh, trying to find this, the missing sock with my kid. And um, the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, but the main point is that every anybody can do something amazing if they really really want to do it and and focus on uh, on that goal um nobody has to be superhuman it's just about what's in your head and and your desire and your drive to to achieve it you know this you're talking about how um maiden opened up the conversation with regard to um women getting sponsorship what was that process like for you how did you realize you know how did how did you 
know like where to go what conversations to have in order to get someone to sponsor a boat for those big races um i i don't think i still i don't think i know the answer even to this day um so you're winging it and yeah uh winging it um i i think it's almost the same as what i just said in the answer to your previous question is if you know if you really really want to do something then you're it's gonna like a puzzle you ask and you look and and i think the best way to persuade people to back you is to make your enthusiasm contagious and and prove to them how much you want to do what you know, the Vendée Globe, for me, that's, uh, or, or racing, the, well, the first time I found a sponsor for the Mini Transat, um, it's, is to be able to convince people. And, and you can convince people if you've already convinced yourself that you can do it. Um, so, I, I, uh, but I don't have all the answers. And, and it's the, one of the hardest things um, in my sport of offshore sailing is it's not sailing around the world. It's, it's crossing the start line. And um, because putting a project together to sail a boat around the world and to raise the money to, to fund that and the boat um, is the hardest part. And, and um, in, in a, lot of, a lot of times I've been lucky and um, projects have found me or I found... You know, and there's privilege from, you know, we went to a great school and having you know being born you know being born in the 70s you know being born like well there's all those things lined up in terms of building that forward for younger women how can we support younger women who might not have had those same exposures or advantages i think um I, I, I try and do that every day now, and because yeah. um, of what Tra what Tracy Edwards and her, and her maiden team did for me, I, I always think about that and how they inspired inspired me and opened doors for me and uh, maybe made me realise that it was poss possible to do things. And so now I think about that, and uh, and uh, I think, well, I, you know, I need to give something back now because I'm so lucky to have had the opportunities and to to have this amazing boat now with Initiative Care and. Um, so yeah i i'm not i don't have all the answers either but um for me it's really important to 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 be able to share you know i, I think about that when i send videos back when i when i'm up to my knees with my with my pump emptying my boat and you know i think about those people when i those are the people i'm talking to when i film when i'm filming as well is uh and it's trying trying to share that enthusiasm and, you know, make young people want to do it and realize that it's possible. Um, uh, open doors when I can. And uh, in sailing, we have, um, after the Volvo Ocean Race uh, that I did with Team SEA, uh, we created uh, the Magenta Project, which um, is a, a non-profit um, organization uh, that we created because we realized that so many young girls and well young people and women all around the world were following what we did and and team SCA finished and we had a lot of messages of people who were so disappointed saying oh no what are we going to do we so enjoyed following you girls yeah. and what you were doing and um, and we actually team SCA actually gave us their they gave us their website and their social media 
um, pages that we converted to the Magenta project. So we didn't lose, or the people who were following us didn't lose us. Um, And that was the base of creating something that um, all young girls, women, and people who wanted to follow professional sailors, um, uh, they had one place to go to where they could follow us. And, And then we... The next step was to try and work out how to create opportunities um, such as uh, clinics um, so that giving opportunities to come and sail on boats like Initiative Care or actually the last Magenta Project event with Sam Goodchild who um, did a two-day event with some, um, some girls sailing on his on his Multi 50, which is a 50-foot trimaran. Um, so, so that was one of the objectives was trying to create, um, opportunities to gain experience on, on amazing boats and, and, uh, um, make young people dream uh, that it's possible to, to get onto these, this kind of boat and have a bit of experience. And, but also a lot, um, the big, um, the, I guess the biggest part of Magenta Project now is a mentoring, um, system where they've created this mentoring system where um, they put uh, experienced sailors or experienced people in the in the industry because it's not necessarily just around being on on a race boat. It could be for someone who w- wants to have a career uh, within the industry or somebody who wants to learn just how to sail and to, to be able to take their family sailing on holiday. It, there's all kinds of ambitions, but the mentoring um, is really, really important and it's put together people um, uh, to create that link, to um, have someone on the end of the phone to to talk about how to put their dreams into action. Also, that's a lovely fit because, you know, you're your natural enthusiasm and your talent for communicating that is, you know, your greatest asset. So your your contemporary, Ellen MacArthur, who um, I sometimes get mistaken for. <laughs> we, I, we do look fairly similar, although we have slightly different personalities. I'm a lot more um, naughty, I think, than she is. Um, she she retired earlier than you. She, she, she retired from her sailing career. She had a, you know... Um, have you followed, do you know who Ellen MacArthur is, Buckers? Yes. Yeah, so she was really extraordinary. She had, she she did lots of firsts, lots of exciting things. She still and, is. Um, yeah, she's, yeah she's, <laughs> she is, yeah. But in terms of her sailing, you know, she um, um, she did the Vendee Globe. She did, um, she went across, she went around the world um, in B&Q, that trimaran and um, she retired from sailing after having kind of had an epiphany about um, 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 the environment. And so she now has a, an organization, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which um, does in lots of different ways is um, wanting to speed up our, our natural progression towards the circular economy, sort of so um, sustainable um, business and sustainable manufacturing. And what's really interesting, she is they've got loads of she put their the, the foundation puts out loads of great content it's kind of my area i'm just pretty interested in that stuff and um the content's all brilliant but she's patches on lots of other experts because she doesn't ha- she she doesn't seek the limelight and communicating with lots of people i found it that that's kind of not her bag and so she really kind of knows herself and has built something which is really true to her but doesn't doesn't place her centre stage. She places various different experts centre stage because she doesn't have that wanting to think of, of wanting to connect with 
people one-on-one in the same way. In her um, autobiography, it was so interesting when she was talking about when she finished the Vendée Globe and when she came home, the exact same thing that you described, how amazing it is because everyone comes out and they come out and they welcome us in, hurrah. And she talks about when she comes in, when she came in and having that same moment and feeling like it was an affront or an invasion, like I don't want to end, don't, you know, that um, they were interrupting her experience with the boat and that she felt almost like a grief or a loss being pulled apart from the boat and separated and having to sort of go towards the people. So it's it's so interesting how um, we have di- different personalities can affect um, f- affect change for the good in, in in different ways, and that how how you continue to do that is just is going to be really interesting. And it's certainly it's certainly in in communication. You know your 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 videos and the, the way you've used social media and technology has been extraordinary, not just for people like me and my dad who can watch and just say it's amazing, not just for <laughs> you know young people who will be inspired to um, potentially have a career um, like you, but also the very simple and direct way that you've used it to in your relationship with your sponsor and with um your charity can we talk a little bit about that mm, definitely uh, yeah um yeah it, it is part of um a big part of the project initiative care um which actually is a project that um Tongi de Lamotte, another a french skipper created uh, a long time ago in 2009 the project started basically um uh, he discovered uh, this charity, Missionaire Chirurgie Cardiac, which is um, a French charity created by um, a pioneering female um, heart surgeon uh, who is still the head of the charity, um, who, when she realised that um, something that's available to everybody in France or in developed countries um, which at the end of the day, although it's serious surge, heart surgery, you know, you, you, a lot of the time that your heart stopped and a machine takes over. And so, yeah, it's pretty... Um, is, it, is it a catheter surgery? Is it with a catheter or with an op- open heart surgery? It depends on, it depends on the... On the procedure. It, yeah, it depends on, on what, what they're trying to fix. But anyway, this surgeon realised that um, at the end of the day, although it's, it's, it's major surgery, it's actually very simple in terms of the fact that you can save someone, someone or change someone's life. Um, and especially for the kids who've got heart defects, <clears throat> it's something that after one su- one surgery, yeah, yeah, um, they have their life back, like having yeah, a new kidney. You have your life back, yeah. and actually your life goes to normal. And it's not something that you then live with for the rest of your life because it's just fixed for once, and then you become yeah. normal and healthy, and um, and everything's fine. And she's like, so, you know, it's not something that you're dependent on more surgery or drugs or or anything else. Yeah. So kids who come from uh, poorer countries where the surgery is not available because they don't have the technology and the hospitals that are capable of doing that. Um, A lot of it's all to do with um, the intensive care part of looking after the person after, after the surgery. And that's, and even to this day, and it's incredible to imagine that when we live where we live, that some countries that does not exist. Um, 
and uh, it's it's tragic. Um, Not the uh, whole continent of Africa, just it's just some countries within Africa that you connect uh, with. Yeah, it, and it, there are some other countries outside of Africa, but it's yeah, ninety five percent African countries. Um, uh, and so she wanted the kids that are unlucky enough doubly unlucky because they're unlucky to be born with a heart defect there's nothing you can do it's nobody's fault um that happens they're unlucky enough to be born like that and they're also doubly unlucky because they're born in a country that can't can't treat it treat them um she said you know she wanted to um help those kids and she said it's so simple if we can get to them to france um, they can have this life-changing, life life-saving surgery and go back to their country and their parents and live a normal life. Um, uh, so she created that, and, and, and she's still at the head of the charity to this day. She doesn't operate anymore. She's 85-ish. I'm trying to remember her. She's an amazing uh, one of my heroes in life. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, we, that's what we do is raising money to pay for these kids' heart surgery. And, and in France, she's negotiated with all the hospitals that um, do the operations a fixed sum. So it's really simple. It costs 12,000 euros to save one kid's life. Um, it's a fixed sum. So whether it's, or whether it's, uh, it could be some simple surgery or some really complicated and, and sometimes takes longer to, to get better. But in general, it, that's the average and the hospitals have agreed to, to, to have this, this fixed sum and, um, uh, volunteer families uh, host the kids. They come on their own. They don't come with their family. They come on their own. Um, and so they live with uh, volunteer host families for uh, the two, three months of their, uh, for their operation and time to get better. And then they fly back to, to live their normal life. Um, and so it's incredible seeing these little kids who, who um, are so weak. And especially when you're a mom and you've, you're lucky enough to have a, a really healthy kid grow up and, yeah. and not have any... Losing their socks. Losing their socks. <laughs> Throwing up out of their... Yeah, exactly. Top bunk bed. And, um, and I realise how lucky I am. And, and especially even more when I see these kids come and, you know, the kids... Um, who uh, you know way old enough to walk, but they can't walk because they they don't their heart's not strong enough to to support them. And um, and through social media, when we share the Initiative Care content that you put on there on the charity's website, that's when the sponsors pay. It's like a pay yeah. per, per click thing. Every time we share it and like it, they give a euro yeah. into the bucket. When the Tongi and his sponsors created the project, they said, you know, we want to raise money, but we want, we also doing the, we're also doing this amazing thing sailing around the world. And it, it's it's a great platform to to pass a message because so many people follow the Vendée Globe. Uh, we have this beautiful boat. We can stick logos on it, um, and it's a waste not to use that to pass a message at least. And 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 I totally agree. And it's something that I've always really really wanted to do. And now I'm so proud to be part of this project. So there that was one side. But then the sponsors said, but yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But yeah, we can pass a message. But what what we really need to save these kids' lives is money. Uh, uh, yeah, passing a message, uh, obviously, that will help raise the money. But um, what we could do is actually give them money. Um, and so they said, okay, well, uh, we're doing this as well to get notoriety, to be as a sponsor. You want to communicate and you see, 
your logo sell around the world. And so they said, okay, well, the, the more people follow the project, then the better that is for us because um, we get more well-known. Um, and so they are more than happy to pay for that notoriety. So obviously there's a, there is a technical budget that pays for the sales and the boat and, and the technical side. But then they, they said that's not enough for the charity. We want to, we want to actually donate money to help save these kids' lives. So they've, they split uh, the budget into two. And so there's a pot which is purely technical. And they said then we've got this other pot which is budget that we are giving to the charity. Um, and in exchange for that, you know, we want more followers. And so that's where they launched, they launched this one click, one heart operation. With, it started just on Facebook because at the time there was only Facebook. And they said, okay, for every new follower on our Facebook page, we're going to give a euro to the charity. Um, and they thought they'd raise maybe enough money to save uh, maybe four or five kids. Um, and in this, in the first Vendée Globe, the the Facebook page exploded. Um, they had so many followers that um, I think for uh, at the end of the day, they actually had to they they gave a lot more money than they thought they were going to give uh, to charity because they had uh, such a huge success with it. It is and that K line. That, that's initiative, which is the initiative is a, a company in France. Um, you, you, you've got a little girl, and I think you've probably done this. You know, um, to raise money for school outings um, in the parents' association uh, at school, they they occasionally get the mug with all their little um, with their draw, they draw their yeah, 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 yeah. on the tea towel. Yeah. So initiative is a company in France. That's the company that, that does that, and they work with schools and charities. So they're really happy to. Um, to share each race and they do a really good pack for schools to follow the Vendée Globe. Um, so that's initiative. They, and they're the ones that um, were the original sponsor of the project with Tongi created it. And that's why the project is called initiative Kerr, uh, Kerr yeah. meaning heart. Um, and that had such a success in 2012 in Tongi's first Vendée Globe um, that then uh, K-Line, which is a company that built uh, aluminium window, double glazed windows. Um, it's a company that's based in the Vendée region in France. So the Vendée Globe oh. is very important for them. For them, the project was so strong and they wanted to have, uh, the, for their, they didn't, they were paying, they paid for, to do adverts on TV. So they didn't want to put their logo all over the boat. They wanted to be there for their, with their, with their um, employees and to do something good. And so they joined the project because they wanted to help the charity. And initiative and, had already proved the concept because it yes. had been such a success in that Vendée. So then they could come in and they knew what was going to happen. Yeah, and they want and for them to have that image of being part of this project, um, uh, and I think now it's it's almost compulsory for companies to be seen to be supporting a charity. It's a great model because you can, now you've you've shown that and you've got the data. Exactly. You can you know you can push that out in different ways and and, and, and then when I after I joined the project, I got constant contacted by Vinci Energy, uh, Vinci Energies. Um, which is a much bigger company, an energy company, more international. And since then, they have also joined the project. So I have three sponsors, um, uh, three major sponsors uh, who also donate um, to the charity uh, every time there's a new follower on the on the page. Um, but the follower, the new follower, so so we can't 
if everybody wants to, anybody who wants to join, the time to join is during the big race of the season. Okay. So we open the campaign one click one heart um, just before the big race. So this year, but there's, the a, race there's is, a new is there's a newsletter we can sign up to on that page, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And now they also uh, the euro is also in exchange for uh, sharing or commenting the posts. So you can join the page, um, but when we do the every, every big race. So this year it's the Transat Jack Vab. Um, just before the race starts, we'll open the one click one heart operation, and then on the page they'll explain uh, what the euro in the what you have to do in exchange to, get the for euro. to give their euro. And so that's how um, I have this a great fan club, and and it's great because uh, anybody can help, and so you can you can help the charity, and it doesn't cost you any money. We'll put links to all of that on the show notes. Cool. The, um, <laughs> one of the things, Buck, is I don't know if you understand, the, the um, this um, Imoka boat that Sam sails mm. has foils. Do you know what that is, foils? No. It's like a hydrofoil. So on the boat, it has this kind of, these sort of wings on the bottom so that when she goes really fast, it raises up out of the water like that on a kind of a pedestal thing. So it like on a blade, it zooms through the water. Right. Not completely out of the water, but semi. What to make it go faster? Very, very fast. Yeah. Look, look. Oh yeah, I see that. Yeah. So the foil foil is just here. It's well, the one that's not the one in use is 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 the other side of the boat, but you can see a little whisker sticking out the side. That's the foil. It's a bit like an aeroplane wing. And do you press a little button and it just shoots out when you need it? (laughs) like in a spaceship uh, sadly uh, not no, everything is everything is a lot physically a lot harder on our boats <laughs> the um it's not a bad question though because the big difference between the boats that you sail when there's more people on board is that they actually do things like trim the sheets and and actually on um initiative a lot of computerization so that you're indoors a lot aren't you checking things and changing things and pressing buttons to can control the boat but yeah the sort of James Bond thing of like press the button, <laughs> not quite. Okay. And it, 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 what I'm thinking is when even we're on a, a small boat, a 32 foot boat in the Solent, if it's choppy, the noise of the water splashing against the heart is very noisy and disruptive and bumpy. At the speeds that you go at, isn't it just incredibly like loud and? This isn't my dad's question. This is our rubbish question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Loud. Isn't it just really loud? How do you get? How do you get to sleep? Like... It's really loud, and especially because our boat's made out of carbon fiber, which is really, really um, rigid. So it's a bit like living in a drum. Um, mm. So all the noises are amplified, and obviously there's very little comfort that um, isolates noise. Um, and also the foils sometimes, because obviously they're foils and they can vibrate, the keel, the rudders, the foils, sometimes you get some resonance, um, and, and that added to the wind in the rigging and the boat crashing over the waves. It's it's a noisy existence. It's restful. Um, thank goodness for noise-reducing redu- headphones. So that's one of the ways of getting over or getting around that. Um, Do you listen to the Matthew McConaughey app? Uh, no, I Do you know what that is? No, no. There's this app, this, going, this, this sleepy time app, yeah. And oh, no, um, lots, <laughs> lots of, um, he's, he's had lots of female discussion of it on social media channels, put it that way, because his kind of relaxing Southern voice, he reads your bedtime story and occasionally... Um, they onto the app. They publish a new one, and then social media goes wild. Oh, Women yeah. having early nights all around the world. Uh, so yeah, yeah, if it's well, particularly bumpy, maybe Matthew can help. 
your last Vendée Globe was cut short because your boat collided with something in the water. You crashed. Yeah. And uh, yeah. can you explain what that felt like? Uh, yeah, it was uh, one of the most scary things uh, I've ever experienced in my sailing career. Um, I was pretty—I was just uh, south of Africa, uh, south of—I'd just gone past the um, Cape of Good Hope um, latitude, uh, and um, I was going pretty fast. There was thirty knots of wind, um, and I just managed to do. I was really proud of myself because I'd just done a great jibe, <laughs> and the conditions were quite tricky. And um, so I'd nailed my jibe, um, and I was making some food because um, I knew I had a really tough week ahead of me, and. And the boat was surfing these massive waves. It was pretty uncontrolled uh, kind of so sailing. So you were just getting down. Bucket, she'd just gone down and then she was coming to the really the really testing part in that part of the world, in the Southern Ocean. And what's Ocean. a jibe? A jibe is when you, you, you change course so that the wind changes. Um, so you're, you're, you, the wind is coming from the other side of the boat. So you have to... Um, you have to change side your sails from one side to the other. Um, change all the material inside the boat has to go from one side to the other. So there's a lot of physical work dealing, um, doing the manoeuvre. And when there's a lot of wind, it's the, these these moments when you can end up kind of having a wipeout. And um, uh, there's moments where you're kind of on the edge because you're you, you're going from having your sails on one side to the other, and um, and those are uh, moments where you can kind of wipe wipe out and finish, end up with everything tipped over on its side, or uh, or um, damage a sail or a piece of you know part of the boat. So, so it happens very suddenly, because with great force. It's a risky business, a job. No, yes, yeah. it's a risky business, especially in in a lot of wind and and big seas in the southern ocean. Also um, in the Solent, in a small dinghy. It's also <laughs> quite risky. Thanks, Sam. I've had some hairy jibes in my time at the Lock Sailing Club. Yeah, I was just... junior ladies champion. Wow. There was only yeah. two of us, me and Helen Tremlett. She won it the year before, but we don't talk about that. I got I got, got the prize. Well, amazing. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I've had probably some scariest jibes in Chichester uh, Harbour on my topper. So uh, <laughs> this one, though, this one though, happened just off um, the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah, and so yeah, and I was making my dinner, and and then I was going at about uh, um, twenty knots, which is about thirty miles an hour. Uh, no, thirty kilometers an hour. And I'm stirring my dinner, and then suddenly the, it's just like the boat sailed into a wall, a brick wall, and stopped dead. Or it could, the keel un, underneath the boat sailed into a brick wall, so it stopped dead, but at the same time, kind of nosedived. Um, and so, obviously, our, in our boats, the, we have places where it's pretty safe to sit um, in case that happens. Um, but we don't have seat belts everywhere, and um, and unfortunately for me, because um, I was just staring my dinner, I was actually perched on a on a ring frame and. Um, and that's my error is not having a, a safe place to cook or you know a, a place wedged in whilst I'm making my food and um, and so I'm, it was just really bad luck in terms of timing and I got thrown forwards in the boat um, uh, up and up and forwards and I ended up crashing into a ring frame uh, further forwards on the boat which is a very thin piece of carbon um, a part of the structure of the boat um, and I broke uh, my ribs. Um, 
Uh, she wrote two ribs in two places. So, I, um, but I didn't know that at the time. I knew I'd done some damage, but I, I only had an X-ray about a month ago. Once I got back here, I didn't want to see what had happened when I was in Cape Town. That's terrible, um, Sam. And my, but the worst thing was, uh, which is worse than me, was that there's this massive um, cracking sound of my boat breaking. Um, which is the scariest thing when you're in the middle of the Southern Ocean, miles from nowhere, in a storm, in big seas. Um, it's really scary when you hear your boat uh, cracking, breaking up. Um, and, um, uh, and so the, I knew I'd hit the keel and stopped the boat. And it's an accident that Alex Thompson on Hugo Boss had had um, in 2019, and his keel fell off, fell out of his boat um and uh I, it was the, i had the same crash and luckily thanks to he he'd done a really good report of his accident and thanks to all the information he'd sent through um we'd actually reinforced initiative care um with what we learned from his, his accident um and luckily uh, thanks to that, that's why my keel didn't fall out. But at the time of the accident and the, hearing the noise I heard, the only thing I had in my head was that um, it's quite likely that my keel is about to fall out the bottom of my boat. And Did Alex Thompson sink? No, no, he didn't sink. He um, So he managed to sail to Cape Verde Islands. It was in the transit, Jack Verb, and, yeah. um, and shipped the boat home. So um, him and Neil McDonald, they, they handled this situation really, really well, although it wasn't easy for them. Um, but anyway, so I, I was imagining that that was what was going to happen to me. So the first thing for me to do is was I just ran out, ran out and um, furled my sails and dropped the sails because obviously when you don't have a keel anymore, that's the stability for your boat, and you could, that's when you can flip over and capsize. So um, uh, before checking everything, I knew I had to um, stabilize the situation, and and then I went forward and I saw these massive cracks in the bulkheads. Um, water coming into the boat and um but luckily for me yeah, the the keel bearings in themselves uh, thanks to the work we'd done on the boat previously uh, held up and um uh and so I, I made it back to cape made it to cape town and yeah and so luckily you were near enough there because if you if that had happened further on in the race you would have been in a com considerably more low remote and dangerous location what are the possible objects that it could have been Possible, possible objects, uh, um, uh, and I still don't know to this day because actually it was uh, it was just at night. Whenever you have issues like this, that always happens just at nightfall. So you've got the whole night uh, in pitch black to to survive. To dwell on it. You can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so no, I didn't see what it was that I hit, and um, uh, so it it could it could be anything, floating object. Um, Things that fall off ships, obviously there's containers, uh, various other things that kind of float just under the surface. Um, or it could be um, nature, so animals or natural things floating under the surface. But I, ha um, I have no... Um, I, I didn't see what it was, so I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, it was big, very big and very solid. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it had big damage. So this is an incredibly dramatic story. Thank you for sharing it. Um, and one would assume, Buckers, that um, Sam's cheery attitude and disposition will be thoroughly squashed and quashed by this experience. And yet there's a great video of you on YouTube when you got to Cape Town 
cheerfully talking about no it's amazing to be back in Cape Town because I've had some incredible times here and I've got some <laughs> friends to meet up with and so yes actually we did have a terrible collision and the boat's been really badly damaged but the great thing is I've got all the pieces I've got all the parts that's look on the positive you did another reframe didn't you it's incredible such a queen of the reframes yeah yeah I did yeah um but having said that when when the accident happened I had actually given up sailing and decided to be um, a housewife and go and pick up my kid uh, every lunchtime and make him lunch at home. And um, uh, uh, yes, for about 24 hours, I had retired from sailing and I was never ever going to step on a boat ever again. Um, But luckily for me, I did have those four days to sail back to Cape Town. Uh, which gave me time to reflect and realise that um, I have I'd abandoned another Vendée Globe for uh, eight years previously and uh, the route around I broke my boat and I couldn't finish and I remember how disappointed I was and um, and how frustrated and how I decided that whatever happened in this Vendée Globe whether um, whether I make it or whether something happens makes me abandon the race I'd already decided that even if I had to abandon the Vendée Globe um, I wanted to try um, at all costs um, to sail around the world to and finish the route. to finish the route and to finish the the French call it or course at, um, outside of the results. Um, and luckily, I'd, with my team, we kind of prepared all of this for all eventualities. And they knew that if that happened, we we had spare parts ready. And they knew that, that could it, they could be called up to jump in a plane and come anywhere and try and fix help fix it so that we could get around. Because the longer I sail and the longer I share my adventure, then the more money we're going to raise. For yeah, the of course. So you well. have a really clear motivation at that point. Because if yeah. you continue on the route, which was a third, you were third of the way around, if you continue on the route all the we're all fascinated on tenterhooks at home watching this stuff unfold so in a way that's best you know there's masses there's gallons in there for the in the for the storytelling and for the for the the adventure and all of those kind of things so it keeps us engaging and it keeps the spotlight on those charities how how did it how did it feel it has to be the last question i mean like i'd listen to your day how how (laughs) did you feel when you got got home that time um so the, after the after finishing, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, when you actually made it round, I mean, that's a lot of mixed emotions, surely. Uh, yeah, a lot because if I uh, I left Cape Town and and I would say I would have I could have just turned right and sailed back to France, but yeah. instead I turned left, and a lot of people thought I was completely mad for doing it. But obviously there was a reason, and it was to raise money for kids. When we um, when I when I started the Vendée, my my ambition with my with my sponsors was to raise enough money to save sixty kids' lives. Um, and um, in the, at the end of the day, the race took longer because I had this nine-day stop to fix yeah. the boat. And then when I when I left again, I wasn't racing anymore. And um, so I, I uh, and I really wanted I was there to just to finish at all costs. And so I didn't sail as fast as I would have done if if I'd have been in the lead pack. Um, and so and it took me so it took me a lot longer than I thought it would take me to do the Vendée Globe, which, but the more days meant more clicks and more likes and more euros yeah. for the charity. And, and I think also there were a lot of more people supported me because they respected my um, commitment to the, yeah. to the charity. And, um, and, and, that I, you know, I was there for, for that charity at all, 
costs. And so in the end, we raised enough money to save 103 kids' lives. It's incredible. So, um, so for me, that was there's this. I felt like um, although I was, uh, there was a frustration of not finishing and not being in the results list, and you know, I don't get my trophy to lift up. And we were at the prize giving this weekend, so uh, yeah, I, I get the, the losers trophy, <laughs> the <wooden laughs> not spoon. the finishers trophy. <laughs> Yeah. But but um, all of that frustration is is um, way less than the. I almost feel like um, I won in you gave in it so respect. much meaning. Yeah, and yeah. I, so yeah, there is a, a huge sense of relief to have got back finally, making it around the world, um, and um, yeah, and just so proud of what we achieved. And I say we because I was on my boat, but my shore team um, did this massive commando mission in Cape Town and a lot of other people in Cape Town as well who who lived there, who helped um, us uh, against the clock to put the back the boat back together to to get back out there. So yeah, it's huge um, victory for for me and and for my team and yeah really proud of what i achieved it's just been an absolute joy to hear about it thank you so much for giving your time sam thank you well thank you flair and thanks buckers for um for helping me make this work <laughs> i hope what i've recorded on this machine if is you can get be, uh... if you can get youtube videos back from antarctica i think we can manage this right <laughs> we've got it covered that's the end of this week's episode of the real work podcast If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. I don't think I, I don't think I remember to say in the intro, I don't think I remember to say to go onto iTunes and rate us. We have got a couple of ratings and reviews this week, but not many. I, I should have said it. It's hard to remember. I'm getting better at it. I know. You are. You are. I've noticed the last few episodes, you've been really good at it. And I can see in your face, I know that you find it awkward. Do you know what? I've actually, I was thinking the other day, it might be useful just to have like a little jingle to go on the end. And then you don't have to worry about doing it when we're recording. We just have something that just covers it off. That would be amazing. So I did actually uh, make you something. (gasps) you i like yours i love yours they who's the guy who did the piano in that he's um he's like a, a concert pianist or yeah, something he's, he's called incredible. tom seals yeah he's called tom seals and he is amazing he's played <gasps> piano all over the world have you so you've um, made me you've made me one already well yeah, i've made one for you yeah you did. I, do you want yeah 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 is it like your one um i mean kind of great let's hear <gasps> Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Do it, do it now. Like me, like me, subscribe to me. Review me, review me, review me. Rate the podcast or I will be very sad. I won't make another one unless you rate it. I will know that you have. I will notice if you have not rated it. It all seems a little bit thirsty. Is that what the young people say? Bit thirsty? Rate the podcast or I will be very sad. Review me. 
I, I, I wouldn't say I was begging. Was I begging? Do it, do it now. Like me, like me, subscribe to me. Review me, review me. Like and subscribe. Did you take those words from me saying that to make that? Yeah, just when we were messing about the other day, I thought it was quite fun. Thanks. You sound really modern. Okay. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, where the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Buckers. She knows just what to do, producer Buckers, to make your podcast dreams come true. She used to work in radio, where she was poorly paleo, a dab hand at audio. Find producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative, or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone, producer, producer Buckers, if you want to hire the best, producer, producer Buckers, just put it to the test, producer Buckers, just press record. And she does the rest. Producer Buck.